rapture hasn't happened, unfortunately. So we're all here. So uh, if the rapture does happen, who's ever left, make sure you turn off the lights. I don't know who's Jay or anybody just mentioning random names. So, no, I shouldn't be mad at Jay. She brought me uh, uh, pecan brittle. Oh, he brought that. That's why he didn't share. I grabbed the bag. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You brought the cookies? Well, I thank you for both. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, great day. Uh, weather's supposed to be turning for the colder, I think, isn't it? Friday night or something? That cold front coming in? So that'll be nice. Maybe some fireplace weather. But anyway, all right, any prayer requests? If you're joining us online, we're honored that you're with us, and uh, we have folks online to be a blessing, so uh, let us know you're there. You'll see a prayer tab in the bottom right-hand corner. If there's anything we can be praying about, let us know. We want to be a blessing that's private, secure, only goes to one source. It's not shared, so feel free to uh, share as the Lord leads you, but let us know how we can be a blessing. But thank you for joining us tonight. Any, uh, said any prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. Kim, okay. Kim, as I'll see a lot of folks still sick and continue to lift up uh, our sister in prayer, and she's continuing to, uh, to uh, uh, just to walk through the season God has her in and keeping her spirits up. So just pray for not only the healing, but just also God's peace and strength uh, to, to continue to fight, uh, you know, fight the fight God's given her. And uh, anybody else? How's, how's Callan doing? Oh, he's kicking his arms. Awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is Charlotte and Terry's uh, grandson, seven months old, that has been put in. Uh, is he, has he been brought out of the medical coma? Okay, so he's out of the, he had been in a, induced coma to let his body rest and stuff so uh he's out of that and now he's kicking his arms and legs so that's a that's a praise the lord sign right there all right well let's pray and uh, we'll get started tonight and jump back into hebrews chapter 10 and uh we'll talk about a confident ministry or confident christianity uh, so let's pray father thank you for tonight this opportunity just to gather Father, we pray for those that are hurting, and Lord, we pray for uh, Joyce's neighbor, Kim. Just ask that you uh, just work in a mighty way in her life, work in a way that just brings about your glory uh, to her, uh, to her spirit, and that she can't help but uh, to acknowledge your goodness. And uh, so, work in a mighty way. Use joy to uh, to be a source of light uh, to your goodness and to your glory. Father, for our, uh, our sister, just ask continual healing upon her body in every way possible and just pray for your perfect will to be done through this and power through this season, strengthen her, Father, and the, the strength of her faith that she has just to bolster it and uh, give her that courage and strength just continue to, uh, to live in your perfect will. Father, we uh, uh, just pray for others that are hurting in the church that are seeking uh, just restoration of their spirit and Father, uh, just upon their mind, just ask that you uh, give them uh, hope through the promises of, of your word and 
that Father they have uh, as we're kind of what we're going to talk about not tonight the confidence to stand in your promises and your assurances and uh, so Father be with us open our hearts tonight help us always to grow in your grace we pray for those that are joining us online and maybe unspoken or maybe requests that have been posted I haven't seen yet but Father we lift up uh, every heart that's heavy and burdened just ask that you uh, work through them Again, in a way, let some uh, those that are seeking you to see your goodness. Anoint every word that's spoken tonight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, a confident Christianity. Well, what do you think about when you think of the word confident? I'm going to need your input tonight. Boldness? Oh, a great word. Great word, bold. Anything else come to mind? Huh? Assured, another great word. Did you see the notes tonight? You got cheat sheet, don't you, back there? You're like back in high school. She lifting her leg like, like Kim, like back in high school, like oh, like history class. <laughs> so great words. No, those are words that that uh, we'll probably touch on tonight. These are the words that we find in Scripture. This assurance we're called to have. Catch that. We're called to have assurance. We're called to be bold. Now, for God to call us to that, what there means there must be a a, a a a promise out there, correct? Would God call us to something that He doesn't have provision for? No, He would never call. It's kind of like it's kind of taken out of or misquoted, but it's kind of like God never gives you more than you can bear. We know that scripturally, God states that He'll never calls us to walk through something that he will not give us the strength to endure to persevere through so to do that means god's not going to call us past him does that make sense god's not the one that's scared god's not like hey come here i i you know got my will for you yeah what's your will lord go around that corner see what's there god doesn't do that god calls us around the corner you know to his voice and we may have to walk in faith, but God doesn't call us past the provisions he's given us. So at different times in life, myriad of different ways, we've all been caught or found ourselves afraid of something. Have we not? I mean, as a kid, it may be, you know, what your schoolmates told you is underneath your bed at night when the lights are turned off. Or what's lingering in the closet or, you know, the shape or the shadow of the tree outside the window. All these things as a kid that that, you know, when the lights are out, that brings fear. As we get a little older, you get the fear of peer pressure, do you not? Saying the wrong thing. Oh, if I say something stupid, all my classmates, for the next three months at school, I'll be the source of, you know, all the jokes and being made fun of. So you're, you're so worried about what you say now because, you know, at that age group, uh, elementary and all the way through high school, of peer pressure. And then you get a little older. You know, then you get more of life pressure. You get the fears of, uh, you know, of uh, bosses. You know, well, what if I mess up and I lose my job and I just bought this new car or I just moved out on my own. If I lose my job, I'm... And so fear comes in all kinds of states. Now, that, that's in the temporal and the physical. Then you add on top of that the emotional and on top of that the spiritual fear. There's two different fears in the Bible. When it comes to when every time the Bible says, you know, fear the Lord, what, what's that word 
I can't say every single time, but the vast majority of time in the Greek or Hebrew, what does that word fear relate to when it comes to the Lord? Reverence, acknowledgement, you know, humility, reverence. But then the Bible's clear about telling us not to fear man. That's not a reverence. I say don't, don't fear. Man has no power on you. You know, it says, tells us in Revelation, fear not God. I mean, excuse me, fear not man who can kill the body. I'll tell you who thou ought to fear. Fear the Lord thy God who can kill both the body and the soul. Somebody breaks in here and shoots us all. Can they come back 30 minutes later and kill us again? No. Man can kill the body. They can't kill the soul. God says, I tell you who you shall fear. Fear him who has, <laughs> who has the soul in his hand, our soul. So we've got to understand when it comes to fear. But the bottom line, we all find ourselves fearful in some way, somehow in our lives. Um, the thing about fear, though, it, it, it can just spiritually stop us in our tracks, can it not? It can completely hinder our spiritual growth. And that's the challenge about fear. There, God, will, God will. God, while he will not test it, he will try, you know, put us through trials because he wants us to grow in our faith. So if for you to grow past fear, I mean, well, then what are you going to have to deal with? If you want to grow past fear, what are you going to, you're going to have to deal with fear face to face, are you not? You're going to have to deal with doubt. You're going to have to deal with anxiety in your life. You're staring it right in the face. And it's like God's on the other side saying, come on, it's okay. Like Peter out of the boat. You know, hey, I, I want to come to you, Lord. The Lord says, "That's a, <laughs> was that not a great desire, Peter, to want to go to Christ? Yeah. Jesus said, come. And Peter went. Peter had no fear of the ocean. They were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He had no fear whatsoever. What happened is that he got into his moment, and fear overcame his faith. We've heard all the analogies and sermons on that. But he took his eyes, you know, you've heard it said, and it's accurate. He took his eyes off Christ and started to focus on, oh, wait a second, what did I just do? Now I put myself in this situation that he was still in a safe place, was he not? You know, it wasn't his first step. God didn't say, well, you knucklehead, what were you trying to do? I'm the only one that can walk on water. No, he was fine until he found himself in that situation to where he was distracted by, by his fear. So fear is going to hinder our growth. It's going to stop us. But when we choose to live in confidence, and this is what we're, we're talking about, a confident Christianity, a boldness, an assurance, when we learn to live in that confidence, it doesn't matter if we're jumping off a high diving board or we're bungee jumping. It's like, hook me up, let's go. I know some of y'all know Kim and Cheryl know what I'm talking about. I don't know if anybody else looking at faces have heard of Sandy Lake Park. Oh, Terry, I guess, yeah, I'm sure Terry. Yeah. It's out in Carrollton, the Farmer Branch, and when we were kids, Kim and Cheryl and I, and, and uh, Terry was middle-aged. He was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, Sandy Lake Park was a, like a, a original version of like a, a water park, you know. But anyway, we go out there, and Kim and Cheryl know where I'm going. They had this platform. It wasn't a diving board. It was just a platform. And I think it was only, I say only, I th what was it, like 40 feet? Do you remember the height of it? Well, I was always a fish out of water. I mean, as a kid out swimming in the ocean, I had no fear of water. 
and was a very, very good swimmer. And uh, so uh, going out there with my brother-in-law at the time and my sister, of course, my brother-in-law egging me on, you can do it. And it was, there's a, there's a, a disclaimer they need to put down there that 40 feet from a distance only looks about that big, you know. <laughs> and, and you get in line, you have to wait in line, wait in line. It's like as the line moves over, it's going, that platform starts growing as you're waiting in line. And then you get to the bottom, and you're like, now at that time, you got all these other kids, older kids behind you. Go, come on, everybody's wanting to go. Well, you just have to climb straight up just to metal. I can't believe how dangerous that was. You could have died climbing that ladder. You get up there, and like Cheryl says, it's about as big as my laptop, or but maybe this platform. And you get up there. Now you get up there, and the pool looks like that big, like a postage stamp. It's clear, so you see through the 20 feet of water, and there ain't no coming down at that point. And now everybody, if you got any hesitation, everybody below you is like screaming, jump, come on, the kids don't even know you talking trash to you. And you have no way down but to jump. And, uh, and I did it. And my brother-in-law says, let's do it again. I said, nope, been there, done that. That's boring, don't want to do that again. And uh, I only did it that one time. But anyway, it, just a funny story. So we find ourselves in situations like this as Christians that we're on these little platforms in life. And now we've climbed, and we want to overcome the fear, and now we've climbed to the point that now we're standing on top of our fear. And we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to jump? And this is what we want to talk about tonight. We have the promise of God that God will say, I can't whistle, but whistle. Bob, whistle for me. Yeah, God will do something like that <laughs> and you know, clap his hands. And hold his hands out. Just like you've heard it talked about, you put your little grandchild or child on the counter and say, come on, you better be ready, right? Because they don't have any hesitation. They have no hesitation. That's what God calls us to. God whistles even better than Bob, slaps his hands and says, come on. Come on. But he expects us to do it with assurance and with the boldness. And that's what the scriptures are going to show us tonight. That's what we want to look at. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. I think our monitor's down, so you have to read on your Bible or in your phone app, whatever you have. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Again, if you're online with this, I apologize that our computer's down, but uh, stay up with us as you can. So Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, it says this, Having... That means something we possess or should possess. Having, therefore, brethren, there's the word that Kim came up with. A what? A boldness. Yeah. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That holiest means we can come before. There it is back on the screen for us. Right there in verse 19 says, we, should, we have been given this boldness that we can come before the holiness, the throne of God. But what gets us there? What allows us to have the boldness to approach the throne of God? Come on, it tells us right there. Yeah, by the blood of Jesus. By the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, now we, as these promised co-heirs with Christ, that even now in this temporal realm, when we're standing on this platform of fear in our life, that we can boldly, with assurance, with this confident Christianity, 
come straight before the presence of God in his throne. Woo! I'm not picking on, hopefully, brothers and sisters in Christ, those that had their salvations right, but I'm not picking on the church of, on the uh, uh, Catholic church that says, I have to go to Mary. I mean, I, God bless those folks, but I don't need to say, Mary, can you go talk to the Father for me? And nothing against priests. That's between them and the Lord. I don't need to go to another man and say, this is where I messed up. Can you get me right with God? No, right here, Hebrews 19. Come boldly before the throne of God. Come face to face to God, spiritually speaking. Why? Through the redemptive blood of Christ. The, Christ, the blood that Christ shed, that fell on the mercy seat of Christ, that God uh, you know, scooped up and sprinkled on the mercy seat of Christ, by that drop of blood right there, we can come directly into the presence of God. That's a sermon right there. Why do we live in fear and doubt? Christ, you died. Praise God, I saw you die. You buried, you rose again. You redeemed my soul. But, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid now. Of what? Mm. Verse 19. Going to verse 20. By a new living way, which he hath consecrated for us, Christ again, doing all the work, through the veil, that is to say his flesh that was, you know, pierced for us, Having a high priest, Christ again, over the house of God, let us what? Draw near. Let us draw near to a true heart in full. Here's the other word that Kim used, full what? Assurance of faith. You sure you didn't cheat? <laughs> but that boldness and that assurance that we have right there, that assurance of faith. We know that in Hebrews chapter 1. We've read that many times. Look over there. It should be close to you. Now, faith is a substance. That word substance is the Greek word assurance. So you can say, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Do we not want to get off this platform of fear? Yeah. God says, with all assurance, you can. I will provide you everything you need. Rest assured. Ah, rest assured. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I got assurance in God. Then why don't you rest spiritually? Have you ever challenged yourself with that? Have you ever heard me or anybody preach a sermon? You go, yeah, no, I have that faith. I have hope and assurance and trust in God. And then when you're honest with yourself, you got anxiety? Can't have both. Because every time we have anxiety or fear, it's suppressing our assurance and our boldness that God calls us to have. The assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from the evil of conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can stand before God in the righteousness of Christ without sin upon our soul. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Oh, that's so important. Why? There he is, God telling a commandment, I got to go to church. No, that, that's so out of context if you think that way. 
If you're going to church because you think you got to go to church because God told you to, God's not telling us to go to church because now that you got saved, you, you owe me something. Now, one of the things I want you to owe me is go to church. No. No, 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 no. Don't think that way. There's a reason God calls us into fellowship. There's a reason God says, don't forsake yourself from assembling together. There's purpose in that. There's reason in that. Not just a to-do list God's telling us to do. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So that's a lot of stuff packed in that. I want to ask you three questions. I want you to keep them in your mind, and we're going to try to touch on them here. I'm not getting too wordy. Question one, what does confidence mean for the Christian life? What does confidence mean for or to the Christian life? Two, what difference does it make or does it where we do place our confidence? And three, what does it mean to be confident in Christ? Now, let's go back to the first one. I, I'm going to throw up two verses here if Mark can get them for us. What does confidence mean for the Christian life? Look what it says in Proverbs 3.26. We quoted this out of the ESV because I want us to catch certain words. Uh, ESV is a very safe translation. It says, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep. Is that not a promise? Yeah. He will keep. Be confident. God will keep. What? Keep our foot from being caught. Being caught in the snares of life. The snares of Satan and his imps. That's a promise of God. If we place our confidence in God, and, and we're in a sense, we're, here in a second, we're going to define how we fulfill that confidence. But if we place our confidence, our assurance, that boldness in Christ, His promise is, God to us, that He will keep our foot from being caught in the snares of life. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Thus I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, he could kill me. Glory to God. Would that not be a blessing? May not be a blessing to your family. As hard as that may be to comprehend, it is the, that would be a blessing to you that somebody walked in right now and shot us off. Devastating to our family. Don't get me wrong. Devastating to our family. A blessing to us. Man has no power over man. Oh, he can steal his money. He can attack his worth. He can belittle him. He can slander him. Does that have power over us? Only if we allow it. It has no power over us. Second question, what difference does it make or does it where we place our confidence? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. 
35 and 36. Therefore, do not what? Oh, do not throw away. Don't discard. Don't throw away your what? Confidence, which has a great reward. So you see why God says, man that puts, he that puts his confidence in the Lord, the Lord will keep his foot. Don't throw away your confidence. Why? That's your great reward. What do you mean throw away your confidence? That you take it out of God's hands and you hold on and build and try to establish your confidence somewhere else. See, when it comes to our confidence of our Christianity, we're either going to place it in the work of Christ and the Word of God, or we're going to place it through our own hands in man, man being us or anybody around us. So it's either placing it in God or we place it in man. There's no other place we can place our confidence. That's only two footholds for it. So God says, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward when we live it out. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So we all put our confidence in something, do we not? Every day. We wake up every day and we make decisions every day. Little bitty ones that are subconscious. We don't even think about it. It's usually more creatures of habit type of decisions we make. And then there's some decisions that you have to put thought into. Then there's some decisions that are like, ooh, I need to back off for a second and think this through. And then there's decisions like, I don't know what to do. But every one of those decisions, we make a decision based on confidence, do we not? If I make this decision, it's on the confidence that this will be the result. Amen? You go to sit down in the chair. Did any of y'all turn over the chair and check it out before you sat on it tonight? How many screws are in it? Were the screws in it? Is there a weight limit? I'm not applying that to anybody. I'm just saying... You know, we don't look at chairs. We go into restaurants every day of our lives, and we pull out a chair, and we plop our posterior down in it without any thought. That's a decision, is it not? We make that decision with a degree of confidence that it's going to hold us up. Do you check your brake lines every morning before you get in the car? Or do you take off down the highway at 60 miles an hour and just mash on the brakes? So we do it all day long, every day. We make decisions. Problem is, at what point in our lives do we start saying, whoa, wait a second, and taking those decisions to God? At what point do we go, whoa, I need some assurance on this decision. Before I can make a bold decision, I need assurance that it's the right decision. This is what the scriptures are talking about. God's not talking about our chairs we sit in or the brakes on our car. He's talking about decisions that affect our faith and our growth in the Lord. Don't throw away your confidence. But here's the challenge. You seek wise counsel, hopefully that being the word of God first. You, you mirror that with prayer. 
then maybe you come to your pastor or somebody that's a spiritual mentor that has sound spiritual maturity and they they guide you with scripture on what to do and you get the answer and you're like oh man it's not the answer i wanted what if i do that and this happens is that confidence is that the confidence the lord's calling us to or do we say it's right there in the scriptures it says if i come confidently to the lord that he will keep my foot from being caught and it may be a psalms 23 you may stay, be standing in the, in the valley of shadow of death, and everywhere around you is your enemy. And you may be saying, God, I, I'm parched. I'm starving spiritually. I need to be fed. He goes, I'm here to feed you. Have a seat right here. You're like, well, what is that? My enemies are right here. Let's go somewhere else where it's safe. God says, no, this is where it's safe. Because you're sitting with me. Are we able to sit down amongst our enemies? Are we able to live amongst those who are trying to persecute us? Are we able to live and walk in faith in a world that's attacking our beliefs? And it seems like every decision we make goes against what our loved ones think, what our friends think, what the world thinks, and what everybody's telling us. Are we able to say, that's okay? Because I'm confident in what my Lord, my Lord just whistled and told me to jump. That's where I'm jumping. Then you got the world say, you'd be foolish to jump off that platform. Our only other choice is turn around and climb back down. So where do we put it? We put it in something. Comforts, relationships, something that gives us a sense of peace. Something we think we can control. That we think we have enough wisdom and resources and money and, and, and you know, to take care of it ourselves. So we put our confidence in things that never truly save us or never can truly save us. So let's think about where that confidence is. That's true. We know it's in God. Let me ask you a second question. Have you ever worried about what God might ask you if you truly trusted in him? Does that make sense why I'm asking? Where God might lead you to? Let me put it this way. You've heard it put this way. You probably heard it from me. It's something I'll say fairly often. Are you in total surrender to God's will in this situation? Because to put your confidence in God, to boldly seek God, God's going to ask you to be in total surrender to his will. Now, we know if we totally surrender, if we totally 100% surrender to God's will, has that ever feared you where that might lead you? I.e., here's a good example, the mission field, something like that. That usually gets tied to total surrender. No, my luck, I'll surrender, and next thing I'll look up and I'll be in Kazakhstan or something, you know. So it usually gets tied to that. It's kind of like patience, you know. No, 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 don't pray for patience, whatever you do. Don't pray for that. 
But there's a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, they're afraid to totally surrender to God because they don't know or they're afraid where God's will might take them. What if they have to change life patterns? What if they have to eliminate things in their life that they've been using as a dependence or a word that gets thrown around as a crutch? Not that they want it, but it's a crutch they've been leaning on and to help them stand up for a while. And they're like, man, if I get rid of that, I'm afraid this is going to happen. Or the last time I got rid of it, I fell. Are we willing to totally surrender with the confidence that God says, if we put our confidence in him, we boldly become before the throne and seek God's will, and we totally surrender to God's will for our life, can we have the assurance that God will keep our foot from stumbling? This is the depth that Hebrews 10 is calling us to. Let's go back and read verses 19 through 23 again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that what? Promised. Jump. That's all God's telling us to do. God's not mocking us. God's not saying, oh, you coward, I bet you're afraid. He's not tricking us. He's saying, trust my promise. I'm faithful, or I'm not God. If we say he's God, how do we not trust that he's faithful to keep his promise and to keep our foot? So a question here. What reasons does this passage give us to put our confidence in Jesus? Open question. Give me some feedback. What reasons does this passage give us to put our confidence in Jesus? Nobody think of anything? Hope? Assurity? Faith? I mean, so... Let me put it this way. I'm looking for feedback here. We, we just, we've read this twice. You may read it a third time. You read a passage like this. Be transparent with me here. When you read this, what comes to your mind? What are you thinking in your life?
But what if that cost you a friendship? Because either you keep on walking towards God or you got to just, at your own wisdom, pick another path. That's, that's your only two choices. Yeah. You know, we hear, you've heard endless pastors online, YouTube, whatever, radio say it. We will put with boldness and assurance our faith in the cross, do we not? To keep our popo out of hell? But yet our assurance and our boldness diminishes when it comes to temporal life decisions. Why is that? Lack of faith. But where does our faith change between hell and the temporal? We have enough faith to stay out of hell. Where I'm just asking openly, where does our faith, what causes our faith to diminish? Okay, so it's a weight of the issue. Yeah, do we maintain and hold on to the eternal perspective? Do we realize the decisions while we have to make them every day? Some are definitely heavier, a lot heavier than others. But even the heaviest decisions outside that we have the assurance, our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what decision compares to that? If you've already made the ultimate decision that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what is the mathematical number of separation between that decision and a temporal decision? Does that make sense? And yet we'll put faith in that. The weightier subject, the most important decision we'll ever make in our life, we'll make it by faith. And then way down here in comparison is a temporal worldly decision, and we get angst over it and doubt and fear and uncertainty. Trembling, standing on the platform. We all catch ourselves there sometimes. 
living confidently in what Jesus has done and what he will do does not guarantee that we'll avoid hard times. I think that's some of it. I think some people think that when they make decisions scripturally, they follow the word of God and they still encounter some pain in their life. I think they think, well, thanks a lot, God. There last Sunday, and I heard Todd up there talking about, praise God, he did this for him. Sam, I make a similar decision, and I get hurt. Have you ever experienced that? I have. I've heard people's testimonies, and they've made similar decisions, and I got hurt. But nowhere in the Scriptures does it say when we make faithful assured, bold decisions, and confidence in Christ. Nowhere does it say that we'll avoid pain. Matter of fact, the Scripture says we will endure persecution. Did not Christ make every right decision by way of his Father with boldness and assurance? Did he avoid pain? Did he avoid suffering? Did he avoid death at man's hand? Why do we think just because we move with assurance and boldness that we're going to escape the pains of life? And I think that happens to believers and they get burned, so to speak, and then they get mad at God or think this isn't fair. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Doing what's right by God doesn't assure you that you won't have difficulties in life. i.e. Job, a righteous man. Look what he endured. David, look what David endured. He had boldness and confidence and assurance as a young man, the lion, the bear, all the way up to Goliath. And he, he gets called by Samuel and he serves Saul only for Saul to get jealous and try to kill him. And Saul dies and David takes over and then he falls to pride you know, numbering the Israelites, he falls to lust with Bathsheba. And he gets right from that, only to have Absalom, his son, to chase him out, trying to kill him. And he was a man after God's own heart. See, most people want to avoid pain. That's natural. They want to avoid pain and discipline. But discipline is usually painful. It's hard to be dis- disciplined. It's hard to make every decision in God's will for your life. That takes discipline. That takes a conscious effort, a conscious effort to spiritually get our, our popos up out of bed, get in prayer, get in God's word, and live according to God's truth every day, and come back in prayer and give God thanks and seek that God. That takes discipline. That's not natural. We don't naturally do that. But here's the thing. If we want to avoid discipline because of the pain, I guarantee you we won't avoid the pain of regret. See what I'm saying? Avoid discipline. Avoid the confidence, the assurance God calls us to. Choose to go a different way. Choose to climb down the ladder instead of jumping into God. And see what, what pain you get by way of regret when you chose a different way instead of God's way.
You get Hebrews 12, 11, Mark? I need to get this out of here. Now no chastening for the president seemeth to be joyous. No hardship is joyful. Never is, never will be. God doesn't expect for us to take it as being joyful. He tells us it won't be joyful. But it'll be grievous. There it is right there. Just because you choose my way, just because you're in total surrender to me, there's going to be non-joyous and grievous times. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth what? Peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness. Unto them which are exercised thereby. How much discipline does it take to exercise, playing on words, religiously? We've all heard people at one time, I'm getting up at 5 in the morning, going to the gym, working out for an hour, get, sh- get showered at the gym, and go to work. Conquer the world. I go to work with more energy. I feel better. My blood's flowing. It's been the best thing. And you talk to them six months later, hey, I was thinking about coming to the gym with you. Oh, I don't go anymore. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the exercise, the discipline's gone. You know, then we start justifying it. Oh, it was costing me $75 a month there and all this. You know, we come up with all these reasons why we're not disciplined anymore. Been there, done that. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3.3, have no confidence in the flesh. Don't put confidence in anything of this world. Everything of this world is of the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. Psalms 1, 18, 8, 9 tells us it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's a better, or it's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes, i.e. governments, rulers, those with power. Oh, I can take care of you. Trust in me, I'll take care of you. I'm the, well, those seven scariest words, I'm with the government, I'm here to help you. you know, no, don't put your... <laughs> Don't put it in man. Don't put it in governments. Don't know. Put our confidence in the Lord. Look at Psalm 16. And we'll close with this. Y'all just read some of these verses. I think there's 16, 17, 18 verses in here. Here's David says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellence in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will not offer, nor take up their names onto my lips. Verse 5, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me as pleasant places. Yea, I have godly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath giveth me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, showing might, strength, power. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also rests in hope. Joy is talking about hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul where... In hell, 
neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And it goes on. David continues to sing the praises of God, saying, I only have one choice here, and it's obvious. He's my hope, my joy, my portion, my strength. He's everything. David says, my confidence, my assured confidence is boldly stated. And he that loves me. Confident Christianity. We got to put our confidence in something. We do it all day, every day. I need restoration. I need healing. I need deliverance. I need guidance. I need we all have needs. Where are we searching that? It's either in man or it's in the master. Put it in the master, his promise is he'll keep our foot. He'll keep us from stumbling, from falling in the snares. Amen? Amen. Sorry I kept you a little long. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word and, Lord, just the boldness of your word there in Hebrews chapter 10 that assures us and uh, that you just proclaim and scream out your faithfulness that you have towards us, your love. That, uh, that sustains us. Father, we, uh, we all have to make hard decisions. We all have our own trials and tribulations we, that we have to uh, you know, uh, traverse through. But Father, we catch ourselves that we're on those platforms in life that are fearful. And we've got to have the confidence just to jump into your promises and that you're faithful to catch us and to... Uh, Bring about your joy and uh, the hope and the portions and the strength that we need for our lives. Father, I pray this just grabs our heart and just uh, allows us to be honest of where we're at and where we put our confidence in. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.